You know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to sit there while they were doing all the prayer concerns and everything, thinking, man, we could speed this up a lot and I could get out of here a lot sooner. <laughs> and now I sat there thinking, man, I wish they'd have some more concerns so this one, I don't have to get up there so quick. It's crazy how things change. Um, before we start, I just want to remind everybody of the Christmas boxes outside in the hallway. I think we have about 15 to 20 boxes that are made up, and we've got a couple more boxes that we can fold up. So I encourage you to pray about it and to see if God leads you to get two or three boxes and fill them up. It's an awesome opportunity to be able to minister to people all over the world, just share God's love. I think the deadline is sometime around the 1st of November. We'll get the date for sure, but I encourage you all to pray about it. And if you feel led to grab a couple of boxes, take them home, fill them up, and bless some children across the world. So if you would, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? It's going to be in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling on which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all and in all. Will you pray with me? My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this opportunity just to share the message that you've put on my heart. Father, I just pray that you'll just open the hearts and the minds. And the, just to understand your word and just to have a better better relationship with you, Father. I just pray that you'll remove me from this situation and just fill me with you, Father, and just let your words flow through me. I love you and I praise you. I just in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So how many people in here have ever been talking to a good friend and said, you know, the whole world is a little off except for me and you, and sometimes I wonder about you? <laughs> or how about this? I can see things clearly, but everyone else is wrong. Or I wonder how everybody can be so blind as not to, not to see things my way. So all of us that are married know that when you put two people together from different backgrounds, different personalities, different genders, sooner or later there's, sooner or later, there's going to be conflict. And then when you add kids in, the, the potential for problems increases. So you can imagine when you expand those numbers to 70 or 80 people in the church, the risk of conflict is at an extreme level. Unity among believers is a big deal in the Bible. Jesus prays about it in John 17, 20 through 22. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through, through their word, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory for which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Okay, they got the words up there. So Paul starts off by calling himself a prisoner of the Lord. See, Paul was a prisoner of the Lord both figuratively, that's a hard word to say, and literally. Figuratively, he dedicated his life to serving, serving God. He traveled around. He, he had no family. He just, that was his life. But literally, he was in prison because some of the Jews from the temple in Jerusalem had started a riot and was accusing Paul of bringing a Gentile into the Jewish section of the temple. See, Paul was willing to suffer for the truth that Gentiles are members of the body of Christ, just as he understood God's eternal purpose. That the body of Christ is to be made up of Jews and Gentiles, the free and the slaves, 
the rich and the poor, of every race and every nationality. You see, unity is important. Then Paul says, I beseech or urge you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. See, we've been called to walk, we've been called to a life of Christ, holy and blameless, a life of redemption, a future inheritance, a life of hope, a life of God's family, a life in God's family. We've been called into a life of unity with all other believers. And a worthy walk is a walk that conforms to our new positions in Christ, not our old positions in the world. 1 Corinthians 10.21, is it up there? It says, you cannot, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of demons too. You cannot partake in the, both the Lord's table and the table of the demons. So I want to change this. And I want to replace demons with the world. And it says, uh, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of the world. You cannot partake in the Lord's table and of the table of the world. See, we need to conform to our new position. There's a story of Alexander the Great. That one day he met a guy that didn't have the best reputation. And his name just happened to be Alexander. So Alexander the Great told him, either change your way of life or change your name. That's the way we need to be as Christians. We have to change the way of, of, way of our living. We have to look at the world with a different attitude. So everybody remember the WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? See, we've got to have that mentality in our day-to-day life. We've got to think about that at all times. So would we go into this bar and get drunk if Jesus was right here with us? Would I talk this way if Jesus was right here with me? Would I listen to this music? If Jesus was right here with me? Would I watch this show or movie if Jesus was right here with me? Would I dress like this if Jesus was right here with me? Would I spread gossip if Jesus was right here with me? Would I tell lies if Jesus was right here with me? See, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, we have to change our way of living to match our new name, Christian, and position in order to walk worthy of the calling that we received. So how do we do this? The character of a Christian is produced internally. It starts with humility. Humility is that lowness of mind that allows us to respect others as better than ourselves. Being humble means recognizing one simple truth, that we are no better than anyone else. Jesus said his followers should be like little children or like servants. See, in Jesus' day, little children and servants They had no importance in society. They were just kind of there. They were just nobodies. So in Matthew 18.3, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he was telling them, this is when the apostles were asking which ones would be the greatest. And he was telling them, you need to be like children. You need to be a servant. You need to be below everybody else. And in Matthew 23.11 and 12, it says, The greatest among you will be your servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But see, Jesus didn't just give us instructions on being humble. He also gave us the example. In Matthew 20, 28, 
says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. In the Philippians 2.8, says, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, Jesus is the ultimate example. He died for us. He left behind his divine nature when he could have called down angels to save him. And he humbled himself to become a servant, to die on the cross for us. So how can we be humble in today's society? Number one, stop pretending that we're better than others. Stop trying to promote ourselves. Stop acting like the world and start acting like Christ. Then another characteristic of a Christian is gentleness or meekness. Gentleness is, the, is consideration towards others, not asserting ourselves at the expense, expense of others. It's a person that controls his temper and does not retaliate. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So in the 8th chapter of John, Jesus gives an example of gentleness when the Pharisees brought in the woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. And they were telling Jesus that, according to Moses' law, that she should be stoned. Well, Jesus just bent down on the ground, started drawing in the dirt. And they kept asking him, what should we do? What should we do? So Jesus stood up and he replied, let he, he who is without sin throw the first stone. See, Jesus didn't stir things up. He just expressed that we are all guilty of sin with gentleness and compassion. And then the last one that we're going to talk about is patience or long-suffering. Patience means to accept or tolerate delay, troubles, or suffering without getting upset or angry. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is slow in keeping his promise, as some, some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. In Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So we produce these characteristics internally, but we have to display them externally. In verse 3 of our key verses, our key word, it says, uh, endeavoring to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, we are told, we're not told to create this unity, or else we would just screw it up, but rather to keep the unity that's already been created. We are to put into practice the characteristics of a Christian in order to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore let us pursue the things for which for... Hold on. Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. See, we have to put out the effort to keep the peace, keep the spirit of peace and the bond of peace. And peace is the quality that holds all things together. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In Ephesians 2, 14, Paul tells us that peace, that Jesus is our peace, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So Jesus has broken down the middle wall of separation. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter how many friends you have on Facebook. It doesn't matter if you're white or black. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter nothing. Because as long as we, Jesus lives in our lives, we can have unity and peace with each other. 
So this peace comes from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit, but we must work to preserve it. A harmonious relationship in our homes and churches don't just happen. They take effort. And at some point, someone's going to get their feelings hurt. There's going to be disagreements. Sometimes over difficult issues and sometimes over small things. People all have different opinions. Personalities will clash. But to resolve these problems, we must understand how important unity is to the Father. We must stand firm in biblical truths first and foremost, but we must be willing to exert the energy it takes to maintain the unity when it's possible. We can't have unity of the Spirit if we don't have unity in belief. Verses 4-6 says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. See, we have to be unified in, in the seven ones. So the first of the ones, the first two of the ones is body and spirit. The one body is formed by the one spirit who lives in us all. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink of one spirit. So the third one is hope. We all have one hope. And that is being an eternal life with Christ. And Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life with God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. The fourth is one Lord. The primary confession of the church is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2-11 says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the fifth one, the one faith, is the one that, Lord that is in the one that say, in the one Lord that saves us. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So the sixth one is one baptism. So although, although there are many different types of baptism, depending on what denomination you come from, it all falls under the one sense of the one baptism. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So the last of the ones is the one God and Father. The one God is above all because he is the creator of all things. Deuteronomy 4, 35 says, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God, that there is no others besides him. The beliefs in these, should, these ones should uh, unify us as Christians together. So I'm going to end with a story today. This is a story of a woman who had moved to Portland, Oregon to work on a campus ministry. That's where she met Bill. Bill was a student there. And Bill's appearance wasn't just the greatest. You know, he never combed his hair. He just wore T-shirts and jeans, never wore shoes. Rain, sleet, or snow, he never had shoes on. So one day, Bill becomes a Christian. He changes his life, changes his attitude, but he doesn't change his appearance. So down the road from this campus, there was a church. This church was made up of well-dressed, middle-class people. So one Sunday, Bill decides to go to church there. So he walks into church. His hair's all messed up. He's got on jeans, T-shirt, and he's barefooted. So y'all can imagine... Everybody in the church turned and looked at him. They were very uncomfortable with the way he looked, but nobody said anything. 
So Bill starts walking down the aisle trying to find a place to sit. Just so happens that the church was full that day and he couldn't find a place to sit. So he gets all the way to the front and he plops down on the carpet. And everyone's just like, what is going on? You know, you don't do this. That's fine for a college Bible study, but this is church. You know, we have a certain way we act in here. So the tension was very high in the church. So an elderly man gets up from the back of the church and he starts walking towards Bill. And everyone in the church is thinking, man, he's fixing to jump all over poor little Bill. You know, they're thinking their lives are way too far apart for them to be able to understand each other. So the old man just keeps walking up there. And everybody's watching the old man. And you could hear a pin drop in the church. So the old man approaches Bill. With much difficulty, he manages to lower himself down and sits next to Bill on the carpet. And he worshiped with Bill on the carpet that day. And there wasn't a dry eye in the church that morning. You see, the old man was practicing what Paul was writing about here. He was walking in a manner worthy of his calling. He was demonstrating humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance and love. He was diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And I pray that we will all be able to intimate, intimate I pray that we will all imitate his obedient faith. So we're going to have an offering or an invitation hymnal now, and the altar will be open as always. If anyone wants any prayer, or if anyone wants to accept Jesus for the first time, or if you want to become a member of the church, the altar will be open. So please stand and we'll pray. My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity just to share your message and for this opportunity just to serve you, Father. I just pray that hearts will be changed and that we'll just be able to come together as one body, not just in this church, but with all the, all the Christians across this community and across this nation, Father. I just pray for unity. I pray that we can all come together and just serve you and just glorify you, Father. I love you and I praise you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.